Welcome to the Wealth and Overdrive podcast, where we deliver you real life and proven financial strategies to help clear the fog you've been misled to believe about your retirement, investing, and personal finances from traditional financial planning. So if you're ready to grow real wealth with less risk, fewer taxes, and no fear of Wall Street, here's your host, nationwide speaker, elite consultant, and author, Phil Bodine and Son Harry. Hey, this is Harry Luca, and welcome to another episode of the Wealth and Overdrive podcast. In today's podcast, what we're going to be going over is how do you decipher the difference between good advice and sounds good advice. Now, this is going over the financial topic. So when you're sitting down and listening to someone, it's either Dave at the Water Cooler or someone on the YouTubes or TikTok or, you know, even a professional advisor, you know, how do you personally know if that is actual good advice versus sounds good advice? Is there content and proof that can back these things up? And so in this one, we want to go through inaccurate and misleading information. Now, I think we'll probably just jump straight into this understanding that in this world, we're pretty much rife with misinformation and bad advice. That's pretty much standard. And with all the social media platforms we have nowadays, everybody has a voice. Everyone has an opinion. But are they really in a position to offer that advice? Did it work great for them, but probably wouldn't for anybody else? It just seems like consumers are often too much more willing to listen to someone with a, you know, a compelling personality, as wrong as he or she may be, than to someone who truly knows the facts on how to build and manage personal wealth. So in your quest to build your wealth, you will be bombarded with misinformation from newspapers, podcasts, magazines, ebooks, books, television, radio, all types of marketing and advertising material that you pass every single day. Many famous financial writers have been responsible for millions of dollars lost by consumers while they continue to sell their, you know, new e-courses, CDs, back in the day when you had like videotapes and still current today is also seminars and other types of sponsored products, i.e. products they're required to sell to help them make a commission. But is it really the best product for us, the consumer? So even the best intended information might be misguided if it is incomplete and only promotes the advantages of a particular financial product while ignoring its disadvantages at the same time. Same as when you go on TV and you hear about these medicines. Hey, this will fix this. But then that real quick text at the end, but side effects will be... And I mean, if you actually listen to it, you're close to death by the time you've taken the damn thing. So all too often, financial professionals suggest that consumers invest in a particular financial product without knowing or thinking about how that product will actually fit into the individual's, yours, financial life. With that being said, there is no financial product that can work alone to make you know someone's financial life run smoothly. The key is to find the right combination of financial products and use them as a complementary fashion. So let's dig deeper and explore some reasons why you will receive, let's say, financial misinformation and even bad advice from the media and in the financial services arena itself. It is important that you know that the information you are reading or hearing is ill-advised and can damage your financial well-being. So we have to ask ourselves, when does misinformation turn into bad advice? Because misinformation turns into bad advice at a point when a consumer acts on the information provided without verification or evaluation as to its merits itself. So how can 
can you know the difference between bad advice and sound advice? I think that's going to be a pretty good topic throughout this podcast. Actually, it's quite easy, though, in many ways, because if you have the right evaluation tools, this is what can help make it a lot more easier. But without the right gauges and measurement devices, which most people do not own, the job of recognizing and selecting sound advice becomes difficult. So where do you start to get the proper education? You must start with basic knowledge about decision-making primarily. So there are two types of decision-making, decision-making based on deductive reasoning and decision-making based on inductive reasoning. Now, let's jump to the thesaurus real quick there. Deductive reasoning may be simply defined as the ability to make a decision based on known facts that lead to a specific conclusion. For example, if I have four oranges and I eat one, how many oranges do I have? The answer is obviously three. If you got that wrong, we might need to go to a different podcast. But <laughs> but what if I said I ate an orange, how many oranges do I have? Well, you could not know the answer because you do not know how many oranges there were in the first place. You could not deduce the answer unless you knew how many oranges there were to start with. On the other hand, you use an inductive reasoning, um, which does not require a complete set of facts before you can come to a conclusion or a decision. So in making decisions using inductive reasoning, you use facts you have and base your decision on the possibilities or alternative scenarios that can be derived from the known information. Such words as insight, perspective, I think it was it sixth sense, logic, and some common sense come to mind when discussing inductive reasoning. Now, you can draw from a variety of skills or instincts to come to a conclusion and you know what to do. You do not need a complete factual basis on your decision making as you do when making deductive reasonings themselves. So, it is important to also note that both deductive and inductive reasoning skills are necessary in our lives. Sometimes we need proof that a deductive process Um, Other times we can make a decision based on inductive reasoning without proof because we somehow know the decision is correct. So when it comes to financial planning and structuring our financial lives, we need to use both types of reasoning. However, most financial advisors today use only deductive reasoning and that presents a major problem for us, the consumers. So this really starts narrowing it down to the main purpose of this podcast because the use of deductive reasoning by financial advisors is a major cause of misinformation that leads to bad advice. For instance, let's say you're interested in a retirement plan. A financial advisor using only deductive reasoning may ask you a series of the following questions such as, at what age do you want to retire? How much income will you need at retirement? How long do you think you will need that income and what is your risk tolerance? I'm sure you've all heard or been asked those questions in the past or maybe heard it from your parents depending on current age you are. But if these are the questions that you are asked, you are dealing with an advisor who uses only deductive reasoning and the, and the plan he designs for you is not likely to work. He asked these questions in order to get a series of facts that are needed to use deductive reasoning to give you an easily quantifiable answer. Without your response to these questions, he would not be able to make the necessary mathematical calculations to prove to you what plan to buy. Without your responses, he would not know how to guide you or point you in the right direction. Only with these responses is he able to articulate a solution that gives something like this. If you need this much income at your retirement and all you have is this much today, 
then you need to save and invest these dollars in our product right now. So remember, what you learned already is that money is not math and math is not money. Anyone using deductive reasoning analysis thinks that math and money are identical. But if we go back to the oranges, we can prove ourselves that's not correct. You know, they rely on math to prove you with the answers and prove um, all the viscosity of the plan itself. But no one can predict what will happen in the future, especially in the long or what variables or mathematical assumptions, shall we say, there should be. A plan designed from such logic is only good for one day at that moment at that table when you're having that discussion because who knows what's going to come tomorrow. And that's about it. Every day after the first day, the plan is going off course. How do you know when you will retire? Does a 35-year-old person really know for sure that they will want to retire at the age 65 just because that's what everyone else does or talks about? We might change our minds and want to retire at 55. I mean, I think everyone would much rather retire 10 years earlier because it feels, you know, because the chances are at that point you're going to feel burned out or you're bored of your job or health reasons may be slowing you down. So health may deteriorate and you may need to retire early because you're unable to work. Or on the other hand, you may decide at 65 that work is you know, still very meaningful and you may want to work until you're 75 or even 85 if you can continue that kind of work and in good health. You can't really plan when or if you're wanting to retire. Again, it's just a plan or a hope. So how do you know how much income you will need at retirement? Again, such a wide open question. What method did you use to determine that amount? Was it based on today's standards or did it just sound good at the time? Remember that you now know about the eroding factors and income taxes, lost opportunity cost, plan obsolescence, technological change, inflation, market inflation, you know, interest rates or interest charges and fluctuating interest rates all throughout this time. You may begin to see how difficult it really is to use deductive reasoning to determine a sound financial plan for retirement when these factors cannot be predicted of any accuracy. Most likely, whatever you think your income needs will be at retirement, they will likely be much higher. Would you really want to limit yourself to a specified income based on today's assumptions, knowing that tomorrow's income needs will be a lot different. You never know if you're going to get that new promotion, if your wife's going to get a much more high paying job. You know, you never know kind of what debts and expenses you may get into. There's so much that can change that at that point, let's say you're 40 years old and just living an average life. Whatever could happen in five, 10 years time, you may change jobs, you may get a new promotion that could double your income, let's say, and all of a sudden your living standards completely change and you're running out of time to keep up for that retirement plan that's going to help keep you at that income um, or lifestyle that you may change for yourself. So how are you supposed to answer the following question? How long will you need your income during your retirement years? Do you just take a life expectancy chart and just take a willing guess? What if you live till 105? Currently, as I'm recording this podcast, my granddad is 103. Will you plan to work or do you simply fold up your tent and starve because you ran out of money? I mean, what about your children? Do they spend their money to take care of you? What is going to happen? You just don't know. It's good to get a base and it's good to get something started, but people have to understand These questions can change so drastically and you should not hang on the answers that you provide early on. And the later it gets, you can't just simply up it or change it to catch up if it's not where you think you're going in the right direction. There's ever-changing variables. So 
Will the mathematical variables used to create deductive reasoning type financial plans stay consistent in order for you to reach your goal, meet your need, or hit your target? Of course not. So why pretend from the beginning that the assumptions used in the plan have any merit at all whatsoever when you see or read financial planning advice that uses interest rates, investments rates, income tax rates, let's think about it, um, inflation rates, along with a timetable for the plan itself. You now know that these assumptions are certain to change and so too will the outcome of the plan. But the big question you have to answer is, If these variables are going to change, then why would someone consider it to be a viable plan in the first place? Man, I mean, that's just a huge question right there. Each year, the plan will become more, let's say, outmoded, and by the end result, will be far off the mark. The excuse I hear most of the advisors who use this type of deductive reasoning planning is that they will review and update the plan and recalculate using, you know, let's say then, then current assumptions In effect, they're admitting that the first plan was just simply off target and that each and every other yearly plan will be off target as well. You know, they have to keep readjusting the plan to keep it supposedly on course for your next review. The problem is that the plan will not be able to be readjusted because at that time, you know, that is being lost each and every year. So every single year you are losing that compounding effect that you could have started right in the first place. Is it much more difficult to adjust a plan in the short run in the long run and have it succeed. So for example, say you are now 60 and the plan is on course. What happens in the next couple of years if the rates drops you know, far below the, you know, the assumptions used for your retirement income when you were first asked these questions? Or let's say the stock market declines and the income tax rates double and you get sued or inflation is roaring away with double digits, kind of like right now as I record this podcast. You only have four years left to update and review the plan and it will be almost impossible for you to be able to readjust and plan to meet your needs in only a short window of opportunity. So can you just, I mean, just look at it this way. Can you imagine NASA shooting a rocket to the moon knowing that the path is wrong and having to keep readjusting the path to keep the rocket on target? NASA would never plan a mission the way financial advisors plan for the public. NASA maps out a successful course and they made many, many, any backup systems and built-in redundancies for better you know, assurance and success for the mission itself. See, financial planners do not use backup systems or built-in redundancies to make sure that you will overcome the constantly changing eroding factors. Deductive reasoning type plans and the update and review strategy just won't work. You are either going to run out of time or run out of money. Since time is one of those is one of the biggest variables used in building any type of plan, the plan becomes harder and harder to achieve as people get older and the variables like a market decline occurs between reviews. Many people know that in their 50s or 60s have retirement savings that have been disseminated by the market decline, especially going through 2000 and 2003. Now, because of the short time left until their planned retirement, their plans can't be fixed. And today, they're in financial trouble. You may not have lived through that even back in 2008. You may have been young. You may have been a child. You may not have had your retirement account substantial enough that you are so close to having to take withdrawals from it. You know about these years and what happens, but you didn't actually live it. Go ask your grandparents. Money, 
Fortune and Forbes magazines all ran articles in 2002 and 2003 on how people were, uh, were unable to retire, even though they had a financial plan designed by a licensed financial planner. Instead of blaming the financial planning theory, it was the stock market that got the blame. Some financial planners state they could have imagined that the stock market would go down that much from 2002 to 2003 all at once. We assume for losses, but we never plan for them in many cases. Again, hope for the best, plan for the worst. The public took their medicine, went along with their feasible excuses, and went along it with the financial planning theory that caused their misery and not the stock market. So, sound planning theory would not let that happen. If you read the articles back then, the planners quoted that these articles suggested that these folks sounded, you know, should either lower their standard of living, reduce their income targets for retirement, move to a cheaper city, town, state, or providence, and work five years longer than desired or invest more money into the stock market so when it comes back, they will be able to retire and the people who followed that advice are still waiting. Just think about that. It's one of those things when it always comes down to restricting yourself to get you where you want to be. It's always about cutting back, moving somewhere cheaper, driving a cheaper car. You know, it's always about restricting and people aren't allowed to dream about really what they can be doing in the future. So in summary, Deductive reasoning type planning has much inefficiency and has little chance of helping people succeed in meeting their financial potential and financial success. That's why we have the importance of inductive reasoning. Inductive reasoning-based planning works on the assumption that no one can predict the future or can control the interest rates, the tax rates, the market rates, the loan rates, the inflation rates, etc., all that is certain about the future is that is going to be very different from today. These are inductive thoughts. All the economic values in the future will be changing and out of your control. The stock market might go down for several years in a row just before you're about to retire. Income tax regs may go up substantially as the baby boomer generation retires. And your retirement savings may not be available to you when you want to retire because the government might change minimum age of distribution as some legislators are truly suggesting right now. So, will your plan hold up to any set of circumstances? As when NASA sends a man to the moon, all contingencies must be planned and every viable expected to change. The plan must have built-in redundancies and a fail-safe system. These thoughts will help you prepare for your financial future and so important to remember. So let's break it down to even more day-by-day living. Think about it. You don't wear a seatbelt in your car every day because you think you're going to crash. You wear it just in case you do. The same thinking must be incorporated into all of your money decisions. You hope nothing ever happens, but if it does, you need a plan that will work under that scenario or any scenario. Again, I repeat, hope for the best, but plan for the worst. Inductive planning looks into the future with new eyes and with optimism. Deductive planning uses past performance and product averages, rates of returns, average past inflation rates, and average market conditions. The future is not a mirror of the past, but rather a magic carpet ride of hope and aspirations. Your financial plan should not be based on past performance or limitations as to your anticipated needs. You should have your money reaching your maximum performance, maximum efficiency, and maximum effective results that protect against the many, many, many eroding factors and all of the unknowns. 
A lot of times you'll see in our presentations, we'll draw a straight line. And this is what some people represent as life. You go from A to B in a straight line. That's what these many planners are expecting when they write out your financial plan. But if you really look at it, it's almost going up and down. Your life kind of goes up and down on a graph similar to the stock market. You know, you get a job promotion. There's a death in the family. All of a sudden you get a raise. Then all of a sudden there's some funeral costs. You get sued. There's a car crash some medical history, medical issues. Life is never the same every other day. And that is why you always have to plan for that. Inductive planning does not limit your financial planning potential, sorry, to only meeting your anticipated needs. It allows you an increased standard of living so that your wants and desires can be achieved as well. And anytime I tell this to people, it's all of a sudden the smoke goes up in the eyes, the disbelief sets in. People can't believe that this is actually possible. Listen, there are two possible roads you can take. One road limits you to the set of pre-designed needs, goals, or targets and hopes that the variables don't change too much over time. The other road is to build a plan that seeks to maximize the performance of your income and your assets and to maximize your opportunity to surpass those needs, goals, targets, or protecting you from the eroding factors. The choice is obvious. Most people take the second choice. They just don't know that such a choice is available to them. So, Now we're going to just kind of look at good advice real quick. And so how can you recognize good advice and sound information? First, understand that every financial product has advantages and disadvantages. No one product can do it all. And no one product has all the positive features. If the information you receive about a product just touts the product's advantages and there is not a complete and thorough explanation of disadvantages, you know that you are being given incomplete information and possibly bad advice. Anyone can make something sound good by telling you one side of the story, but it takes two sides of the story to fully understand the product or service you are considering for your financial life. Remember, it is the enhancement of a financial product's advantages and the elimination or reduction of the disadvantages that ultimately make for a sound and successful financial strategy. What good is it to have a financial plan that doesn't compensate for the disadvantages of the financial products used to fulfill your goals and plans. So the key to financial success is not to have money in one financial product for co- you know for college education or money in one financial product for retirement and then other money for estate planning. This financial planning concept of having each dollar work separately is one of the core reasons for financial failure for many, many, many people. Money needs to work in concert. You need to develop a holistic view of your financial life with all your assets working like a sympathy orchestra rather than a one-man band. Your assets and money should all be coordinated and integrated to formulate one offensive and defensive plan. Many times you'll hear, defense wins games is huge. Money should be flowing from one financial product to another in a strategic manner that yields higher returns, low risk, and more protection for you. Keeping your money isolated in financial products to compound or grow is inefficient and ineffective. Singular financial product planning for each need, goal, or target can result in a loss or overall wealth potential. 
So just to recap everything we went over is financial misinformation provided by the media is all over the place. You've got financial assumptions used by planning cannot be controlled or predicted. A sound financial plan takes into consideration both deductive and inductive reasoning. And every financial product has its advantages and disadvantages. And the most important thing is you need to know both. Now, I know I kind of got on my high horse on this one, but it's one of those things that through the years you kind of look back especially when you understand the industry, what you've been told, what we see every day. You turn on you know, the news in the morning and you've got someone yakking on about this and that and the stock or you're going through social media and these people kind of pop up with this one strategy that made this much money overnight and it's got a million likes. And you're just thinking, man, there is so much misinformation. We're just all about the next hot topic and the next hot investment and the next hot asset that we never really break down about how our own personal draw of finances, you know, we always like to class it in, in, in our office as a financial junk drawer. You open up that drawer and all of a sudden you've got a 401k, you've got a Robin Hood account where you put $10 a week in and hopefully invest it correctly while the extra change goes into your checking or savings account through the investments. At the same time, you've then got, you know, you've got your Vanguard account, you've got your Roth IRA because you're all jacked up about that tax-free money. Now, you've got these investments here and there, and it's just all over the place. And that's before you even start thinking about real estate investing that you have absolutely no idea about when it comes to real estate, and then actually even more so how to benefit from the taxes. It's all about getting your financial life coordinated into financial drawers so that you know when it's time to make a financial decision how and where and what your money is working for, where it's going to end up, and you can predict what certain stages of your life you're going to have available to you, you'll be able to withdraw from, what your taxes are going to be like, if you even have to pay taxes. And I think that's what really comes down to the core of this is this, you know, kind of breaking up the difference between good advice and sounds good advice. Guys, I appreciate you hanging with me on this one. This is one of our slightly longer podcasts, but again, like I told you, I got on a bit of a rant there, but I got a lot of passion for this stuff. So please, if you took any value away from this, like, share, comment down below. If you feel this can provide value to a family, friend, or a member, please pass it on so we can put this great information in front of others at the same time. Again, this is Harry Luca. I appreciate you spending time with me today on the Wealth in Overdrive podcast, and we will catch you in the next episode. This has been another episode of the Wealth and Overdrive podcast. For more information about taking your money into your control, visit www.philbodine.com slash 401k. Also, it would mean the world to us if you could hit subscribe, leave a review, and share this with people you know and love.